All right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning to all of our viewers. Um, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Black Mental Health Matters. Today, I will be your host, Trinity Thompson, and I have three lovely, distinguished guests with me today. I have Imani Dillon, I have Clay Rojas, and I have Deontay Carter. So I'm going to um, stop talking. I'm going to let everybody introduce themselves. So whoever would like to go first is more than welcome. I'll go first. Hey, everybody. My name is Imani Dillon. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist associate. That pretty much means that I'm not fully licensed yet um, in the state of North Carolina. Um, I have to get um, a certain amount of hours before I'm fully licensed, but I'm still practicing, seeing families, couples, all of those good things. I'm located in Durham, North Carolina, and I guess I'll give a silly fact. Um, I like banana pudding with no bananas in it. <laughs> All right. And uh, good morning, everybody. My name is Clay Rojas. Um, I'm a marriage and family therapist trainee. Uh, I am just six weeks away from my master's degree in counseling psychology uh, here in California. We got to get 3000 of those hours uh, and I'm just approaching about a uh, thousand now. Uh, so, uh, I'm also seeing clients The 100% of my clients are youth and young adults who are either in uh, the juvenile justice system, foster care. Uh, and then I also see, uh, college athletes. So thank you for having me. I'm just outside of Sacramento, California. Good morning, everyone. My name is Deontay Carter. Um, I'm just starting my master's in education for counseling. So I'm starting, getting ready to get started day after Martin Luther King Day. So getting that started, um, not too long ago, got finished with my bachelor's of, uh, bachelor's of arts in psychology um, and just trying to keep it going, keeping push, keep pushing onward to become a counselor and, I, the populations you all have mentioned, families, foster children. I'm a foster. I, I grew up in a foster home, so I definitely get how that can impact so much of your livelihood. So I do victim advocacy through a nonprofit organization um, to help um, survivors of sexual violence. I'm a survivor of sexual violence. Figured why not be a part of that uh, message? I'm a member of the NAACP um, here in Stark County. Um, I am the chairperson for um, military veterans, uh, military veterans affairs within the NAACP. Um, five years in the Marine Corps, three years and three months in the United States Army. Had to cross over because of fiscal cuts, but let's get to this uh, conversation. Can't wait. I know. Well, you guys made me feel obligated to share my educational degree. <laughs> So I actually, for um, any of our new viewers or anybody that's like tuning in now, um, again, my name is Trinity Thompson. I um, graduated from Spelman College in 2021, and I graduated, I graduated, sorry, with a um, Bachelor's of Arts degree in psychology with a concentration in mental health. I am seeking, actively seeking to get into a graduate program. So I am just um, a little bit behind you, uh, Deontay, and I'm trying to get into grad school. It's been hard, but you know, you know, we, we push through and um, I'm looking to get my MSW. So I'm really excited about that. I'm hopefully we'll be starting in the fall. So yeah, let's get to this conversation. So um, again, today we're gonna be talking about black uh, family mental health and really just looking at how um, mental health is either an active or an inactive part of how the black family um, operates and how like the average uh, black household, um, you know, how, how it's incorporated because there are a lot of stigmas and things that um, surround mental health and mental wellness. And, you know, it's no lie that in our community, it tends to go overlooked, but hopefully this conversation can, you know, open up conversations within your own homes, you know, for our viewers um, to really kind of just either question those stigmas or start to challenge them in any way. And, you know, just 
encourage more people to go and um, seek treatment um, if needed. So we're gonna just go ahead and I'm gonna pose the first question. Um, how do you guys, like in your opinion, how do black families take care of their mental health? Either from like your personal experience, maybe experience like with the people that you know, maybe clients that you've seen, anything. Well, I would say within my personal family, we go to church and I don't know if it's a Southern thing or a black family thing, but I know that a lot of black families in the South, they go to church, we pray, um, after church, we may have community by eating food um, after church program. So that is how we take care of our health. We pray it away. We pray, uh, oh, you don't have depression. You just need the Lord. And so that's just a lot of the themes that my personal Black family has done, but also the families that I have seen in my community is what they do. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's interesting. I'll second that, um, being that Grew up in, as a Jehovah's Witness, the first part of my life, but broke away from that. But it seems like it is just predominantly within the African-American community um, with the connection of church. It just seems like a lot of the times um, pastors would want you to pray it away and, and, and just deal with it, have that level of resiliency and just not deal with it by talking to counselor. So I, I just feel like the conversation should change and shift to the to, uh, to pretty much pastors basically having celebratory language around being able to see a counselor because it's not a sign of weakness to ask for help, it's a strength. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I mean, especially within African-American families, it just seems as if like it's this mantra of never letting them see you sweat kind of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And and it's and it shouldn't be looked at. It shouldn't be viewed in that context. It should be more or less more or less just looked at as, okay, we need we're going through some hardship. How can we move forward? Talk incorporate incorporate talking to your pastor, but then also getting actual behavioral health help because mm-hmm. it's something that is is looked at as a disparity uh, a disparity regarding socioeconomic status yes yeah and i'll just add a side note to what deontay's saying is that i feel like a lot of well-meaning uh pastors or people within the church have done more harm than good uh trying to be Uh, kind of their own therapist Mm -hmm. Uh, but as Deontay was saying like it's okay to pray it's because we know from research that having a faith base actually increases your resiliency so there's nothing wrong with having a faith Mm -hmm. however um, those two things are not synonymous mental health support from a therapist and from a faith base are not the same thing Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll give it to the audience from my perspective as a therapist who sees, I would say 95% of my clients are um, youth or young adult, young men of color, um, a high percentage of those being black young men. Um, In my experience in that role, what I've seen is that um, they, they are either forced or encouraged to take care of their mental health issues by playing a sport, Mm. Um, which, is also not a bad thing, right? Because there's also research that indicates that physical activity is part of a mental wellness routine and and should be done because the mind and the body are one. However, um, you know, I hear things from my clients like, oh, I was feeling depressed. So my dad just told me to go in the garage and hit the punching bag, or I was feeling anxiety. So uh, my family told me go play football and take out my anxiety and my depression on the football field. Um, And so, you know, I think for a lot of the families that I work with, predominantly the black families um, and and with even I even see it in the young ladies, but especially in the young men, um, mental health is is looked at as something that can be, as uh, Imani was saying, some people think you can pray it away. And in some families, they think you can just sport it away, like go play this sport and your problems will be over. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I've seen I see a lot of that as well. 
I, I know I had a caveat. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Go oh, ahead. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, I, I just wanted to throw a quick caveat. Yeah. Um, that pretty much as Clay had mentioned, your mental health affects your physical health and vice versa. So mm -hmm. you need to be able to make that, as Clay said, synonymous. And it, it's it's that much important. And I'm just glad. I literally just did a podcast with one of my mentors, Reverend Beasley Martin. Shout out to her. It seems like within the church community that they are trying to incorporate mental health within mm -hmm. the church and having professionals talk about different stories. So I'm glad that going into 2023 and even before that, there, there's been more uh, pastors, reverends that are basically incorporating, hey, physical health as well as mental health. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely, I would 100% agree with everybody. Um, I think like one of the most important things that like I agree with um, is that it's not mental health and like your connection to your spirituality is not, um, they're not interchangeable. You know, you cannot, um, they don't mean the same thing, you know, as Clay said, as everybody else mentioned, um, it is, you know, a good, it's not necessarily a bad coping mechanism because coping mechanisms are definitely um, a good way to support good mental health, you know, to tap into um, whether you want to go to church or read the Bible, talk to your pastor about things that you're feeling, it's not a bad thing. Or if you want to play sports, you know, to get like your aggression out or anything like that. But I feel like having the support of an actual mental health professional that is licensed and trained in dealing with like these exact situations that are sensitive to the things that you're feeling and not saying that it's, oh, it's um, because you're depressed, you know, you need to go do something about it um like go play sports or you need to go pray it away it's not it's not that easy if it was that easy a lot of us wouldn't be in the same um predicaments that we are in now i think another um way that is kind of harmful um but you know it is the way that we tend to show love in our community is through food a lot mm -hmm. of people like and it, you know it tends to not be the healthiest but we call it comfort food yeah and um, we do a lot of soul food cooking. And, you know, it does feel, it does taste like love. <laughs> but it may not be the best because, you know, one of my favorite shows is My 600-Pound Life. And yeah, a lot of the ways that people deal with the traumas that happen in their life is through eating because they have comfort. Um, they seek comfort through that food. Or um, their parents, their guardians, whoever they grew up knowing, um, tend to cook for them in, in hard, through hard times. Mm -hmm. and, and they, you know, they end up becoming morbidly obese with all like a list of health complications. And, you know, it's not to say that cooking and eating are bad things, but we need to kind of change the narrative of how we um, connect the, our different coping mechanisms to our mental health and realize that it, there's a little bit more to it than just cooking and eating or um, playing sports or going to church. Yeah. And I think a theme that I hear throughout it all is um, we think that it's just a one and done, mm. a one and done thing, a quick fix. Like, oh, if you play sports, your anxiety is going to go away. If you pray, then your depression is going to go away. If you eat, then you're going to feel better. Yes, that is a thing that can help in the moment. But if we're struggling with something every single day, we need different tools. And one thing that I like to tell a lot of my clients is you need a toolbox. Self-care is your toolbox. So, okay, eating, if you're dealing with, oh, I want to lose weight, eating may not be, <clears throat> excuse me, the best option for you to make yourself feel better. Maybe it's physical activity. Oh, and then you go to your therapist and I go to church. There, are, We can use all of these things and we switch it out. It's not just a one answer to mm -hmm. fix it all because our mental health is complex. It gets deep. It's, we have systemic meaning outside of the world, um, historically, slavery, oppression that we deal with, that is underlying that we don't even talk about every day, but we feel. But then we have our everyday things that we are feeling of, oh, am I good enough? <clears throat> I'm not succeeding at work or my family has some issues. So all of these things we're compiling is not just a one and done. What is it that you're feeling and how can we get through it? And I think that that is something that maybe our black families just haven't had the privilege to be able to explore because we're dealing with so much on a daily basis. Okay, well, I'm so excited about this conversation. So um, 
I kind of want to know, um, historically, how has the average black family perceived therapy? Mm-hmm. Like what? What? What has just some, like in the past, you know, up until this moment? Because you know we have generations and generations um, that have experienced the concept of therapy, but you know they form their own opinions to be able to pass down through generations that may steer people away. I, I'd like to just add a, a quick one mm-hmm. of that before I forget. Um, I think. I love that Imani brought up this concept of generational trauma. Um, And I think generational trauma in the black family has played a role in black families telling themselves that therapy is not for us. Right. Um, You hear, I've I've heard it all my life that we don't do that. Right. No, we don't put our business out there. Right, you heard all these comments, right? We we don't do that. You want that? You go to the barber shop, right, or 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 something like that. But I think those kinds of comments are things that traditionally the black family has said because we're experiencing that generational trauma. And deep down inside, I think to me the root of those comments is that um, it's not for us. And I think that's based in the inequity that we see in mental health, right? Because most black families uh, can't afford it, yes. don't have access to it, mm-hmm. to, to quality mental health. So because we can't afford it, we don't have access to it, and it's a little strange to us, we tell ourselves that it ain't for us, <laughs> right? And you hear those kinds of comments like, oh, we don't do that. You go to the barber or you, we don't do that. You go play football. Mm-hmm. Well, those are the ways we, you go talk to the pastor, right? Yeah. But I think those types of concepts are rooted in oppression, generational trauma, and us um, gaslighting ourselves yes. into saying it, it ain't for us. Mm-hmm. But the reality is it is for us, but the, there's no equity in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm getting so excited because, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, we see that all the time it's not for us or yeah I'll go but they don't look like me and they're giving me these tools that just don't work in the community and so the people who they are seeing counselors social workers psychologists psychiatrists whatever they're just writing them off or let's be honest they have a white savior complex so it's not to help this family but it's to make themselves feel better and it's like we Mm -hmm. don't need that we have to deal with this oppression every day i want to be in a space where somebody understands me but because i'm not in a space where somebody understands me i'm gonna go where people understand me without us having to say anything so i'm gonna go to the church so i'm gonna go on the football field the soccer field so i'm gonna eat and something that ebony said in the chat is what goes on this goes on in this house stays in this house. Mm-hmm. I have had so many conversations about how this is harmful and hurtful because if we're not talking about how Billy Joe was touching on Ashley and Amber and and Joshua and nobody knows this is going to continue to happen and people are going to be confused and and there's going to be resentment because Mama, why did you allow me to be around this person who was hurting me? But they your family, so you need to respect them. It is so much wrapped into if we were to just talk and have these conversations and be open about it, then a lot of the trauma that we feel can be healed, but we're just passing it down, generational trauma. And it and it, and it goes, it, it goes even deeper than that. It's, it's something to where cities, counties should be able to make this so accessible for behavioral health. Mm-hmm. I was looking at a statistic on APA.org. Uh, they, the statistic is 39% of African-American, Latino-Americans, uh, children, they are impoverished. They're in poverty. So it's like you, you need to make those services accessible and, and make it be known amongst the community, mm-hmm. whether it be community figures or people within different nonprofit organizations that are African-American led make it be known that, hey, it's okay to not be not feel okay and seeking help is not a weakness, it's a strength. So it, it just really, it, it has to be springboarded properly through counties and, and have these different initiatives amongst 
you know, within a state, within a county, within a city, and, and, and put out that positive messaging as far as it goes as well. And yeah. to that point, even on the flip side, I think with that, we also need to see the value in counselors, therapists, social workers, because, okay, yeah, we'll have this act, we'll give you access, but we're going to pay you $1 for each client. And it's like, dude, there is a lot of value in a lot of work that us as counselors and therapists have to do and prepare and also check our own biases so that we can be good and competent therapists. And if we see 35 clients in a day, that is a burn. I don't even think that's possible. If, if somebody has done that, kudos to you. But I am hoping that you are OK and taking care of yourself. And so we need to put value on it as a system. OK, yeah, we're going to put value on it that it's accessible to everybody and the people who are doing this work are getting compensated in the way that they need to. So it's not a disparity and, oh, yeah, we have access, but we're getting crappy therapists because they're burnt out and they don't have the energy to give what they need to give in session. Right. And like curious is real. Like mm-hmm. is real and it can impact, I mean, 35 cases. It's, I don't, you know, I don't care. I mean, I feel like whether you've done this for two years, five years, 10 years, it that's, that's a road to burnout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And let, let me just add this as a, as a final thought. Um, you know, recently here in California, um, you know, as y'all know, we've had this weather and California is not ready for this type of rain. Mm-hmm. And so there's been floods and all that. And I just saw in the news that they declared a state of emergency and they were able to get federal funds to help cover the floods and stuff like that. In this post pandemic era, especially for communities of color, mental health is an emergency, is a state of emergency. I always say that, like, you know, it's a state of emergency. And, and, and we don't have that funding. Deontay was talking about the, the nonprofits that exist out there and the, the organizations that look like the communities that they represent, that they serve. They don't have the money to, to do it. I think we need to declare, and I'm not saying this even to be dramatic, it's a real thing. Like, we need to get federal dollars. We need to declare a state of emergency because post COVID, uh, everybody knows this mental health needs have shot up by double, triple, quadruple. Mm-hmm. And we don't have the infrastructure to handle it. There's not equity, there's not funding. So, we are in a state of emergency mm-hmm. when it comes to mental health and especially with people of color. We are in a state of emergency. And I think that's exactly what needs to be done is we need to call out to the federal government and say, we need funding just as bad for mental health as we do for that levy that broke over there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes. And, and, and to caveat on both uh, Clay and Amani's point, if, if there's a, and, and it seems like it's, I don't know if this is all over the 50 states and territories, but it seems like the recruitment for therapists, counselors is like widespread. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be doing this as a county, as a state, you need to put like initiatives in in uh, different pieces of advancing kind of pieces to these professionals because it vicarious trauma will just eat away at professionals, even the even the more structured sound, whether Ivy League ed- education or what have you, it doesn't matter. It, yeah. trauma, the vicarious trauma is real. And I feel like states should be able, they're, they're putting out the initiative to, well, we'll help with this and get you, get you set up, but more needs to be done regarding to the wellness I mean, the wellness of these professionals that are in these spaces, because it's it's going to just eat away at someone because it's it's, we're all humans and we're all human beings. We we feel emotions. We have implicit biases with different things as far as it goes. But at the same time, being able to have have to promote like safe spaces for professionals to seek the help, have that access, but mm-hmm. then also compensated for the time within this state of emergency, as Clay had mentioned, because it is, it, it, it really is. Yes. Okay. I know we got to go to the next question, but to Deontay's point, 
you are touching everything that I have been thinking about just over the past couple of weeks of the job that I'm at currently. I don't even have insurance to get therapy if I wanted it as a therapist. I'm like, that is insane. I am giving therapy. I'm taking um, insurance from other people, but I don't even have the insurance to get therapy if I wanted it. And I'm like, mm. thankfully, my peers and my supervisors, they're all therapists, but it's still it's still not the same. And I'm like, hmm, like, do you care about us? I care about y'all, but do y'all care about us? Mm. Exactly. You, you need to have that impartiality with, with seeing another therapist that you don't work with or in cohort with right. in the workplace. So it's it, it's going to be hard. You know, it's going to be hard to just say, okay, you know where we're at. We don't have insurance to get things done. So can I talk to you? Can you talk to me? It's, mm -hmm. that's, that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And, you know, like you might said, I know we have to get to the next question. I just want to share my um, personal experience really quick. I mean, I told Imani this before, but, um, I work, I actually work in a psychiatric hospital and I work in on an inpatient unit and the populations that we serve, we serve, I mean, there's really like no specific, like one, like where one is a majority, but we serve, so I noticed like within like a lot of um, like the black clients that like we have, you know, I mean, everybody has their trauma. It's just really kind of like hard and almost like depressing um, and you don't want to counter transfer when you see the patients that have like an extensive like um, list of traumas and like their history is just all over the place. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I'm supposed to just drop that as soon as I clock out, you know, at 1130 at night and come home and go to bed. It's just yeah. like, it's, it's, it really is a lot. And, you know, um, like Deontay said, and like Clay said that, um, that by curiosity and like just going through those, um, having to hear those traumas and like, forget that hat. Like, is anybody making sure like the staff is okay? And yeah. that's something that we, I know um, we staff have been like trying to make sure, you know, that, or we're doing a better job implementing that um, staff is, you know, taking, taking care of it, like mentally, especially when something happens like on the unit, um, you know, reporting events. But, you know, at the end of the day, it is a lot to like take on to like um, hear other people's problems and then kind of like take that on like as your own. Mm. I, don't, I just don't think it's human nature to like just like completely drop it and walk out the door yeah. like it never happened. Like I've been with y'all for the last eight hours. So, <laughs> but um, I know we kind of like already touched on this, but I'm hoping like maybe we can elaborate a little bit. Um, what are some current stigmas now in 2022, 2023? You know, because 2023 just started. But um, in our present day, what are some current stigmas that you guys hear um, within like your own professions, your schooling experience, or your personal life? that surround therapy that still exists in our community that you that you're going to therapy because you have a problem um mm -hmm. therapy isn't always you're not going to therapy always because you have a problem because you have anxiety because you have depression or, or any other mental health struggle um <clears throat> sometimes you can just go to therapy for maintenance to process oh this happened at work i'm not really sure um, what's the right decision for me? And your therapist should be there to help you guide, help guide you to the best decision. And so I think a lot of people feel like, well, I don't have a problem, so I don't need to go. Or a lot of couples go and they're like, well, my partner's dragging me and I didn't think we have a problem. And so do they have a problem? It's like, no, you're not here. It doesn't, you ha don't have to be here because there is an issue. You can just come just to come. Mm -hmm. to maintain, to get answers and maybe facilitate conversations that would be uncomfortable in any other space or to be a mediator, just to be like, what do you think about this? And a lot of times in relationships, it's not that one person is wrong or the other person is wrong. A lot of times it's just a different perspective because of the way we live our lives. But who, talk, who talks to us about different perspectives? We don't learn this growing up. So to get the answers that we need, we can go to therapy to get that. But a lot of people in the community don't know that. Yeah, I'm actually an active therapy seeker. So like I go to therapy and I'm not ashamed to say, it. you know, at first I used to be like a little embarrassed to um, talk about it. But I feel like that's just feeding into like that same stigma that, you know, black people don't go to therapy. Mm -hmm. So I, I proudly go. And, you know, when people ask me about it, you know, either I do have a problem or, um, I, I also like to say, I'm just learning how to be a better version of myself. I'm literally learning. Somebody is helping me learn more about myself. 
and helping me um, by teaching me tools to use throughout like my um, regular everyday life. And it is like you said, like it doesn't have to be like a negative spin on it. It doesn't have to be like you are like crazy or stick in the head, switch that word crazy. It's just, you're learning how to be a better version of yourself. That's it. You're learning how to be a better person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it to you from the perspective of, again, like the clients that I serve. Um, I would say that uh, many of them are aware. Uh, many of the young men that I work with or many of the young men that I'm trying to work with are aware that uh, there will require some level of vulnerability when you come to work with me. Mm-hmm. Um, some level of vulnerability and some level of uh, emotion of bearing yourself emotionally, right? And many of us are have grown up and are coming from cultures and social constructs where vulnerability and feeling emotion has been feminized, mm-hmm. number one, right? Yeah. So, uh, so because of that, they have this negative social construct in their mind that once that if I become vulnerable. That's a feminine thing, and, and we don't do that, right, as men. And then the other thing that my young men um, struggle with uh, is that because a lot of them uh, are athletes, they are afraid of the blowback if they come see me. They are afraid of, like, well, what's coach going to find out? Or what am I going to get benched? Am I going to lose? You know, they're more worried about that than they are worried about taking them care of themselves mentally. And that's not their fault. That's a narrative that's been told to them. Yeah. Right? That if you go, something must be wrong with you. And then the other narrative is if you go and you become vulnerable, uh, you're weak and that's feminized. And they're trying to stay away from both of those things. Mm-hmm. I actually just we just did a workshop a few right before Christmas break at one of my schools. And we had a couple of extra slots open. And so one of the guys that, that comes to my group is like um, the, the the star athlete on the football team. He's just, he's amazing. Just got a full ride scholarship into, into a university. And I told him the day before I said, Hey, I have a, cu- a couple of few extra spots for the workshop. Why don't you invite some of your boys from the football team? Mm-hmm. When he came to the workshop, he came by himself. And I said, well, where?" I said, you couldn't get anybody to come with you. And he said the response that he continued to get from the guys was, is that is that some like feeling? Am I going to have to feel my feelings? Am I going to have to get in contact with myself? Like They don't want to do that because they have a narrative playing in their mind that vulnerability and emotion equal weakness and is feminine. Mm-hmm. So they, I, I see a lot of those stigmas around the community that I serve. Yeah. Within the community, within the victim advocacy field, it's it seems like with African American men, boys, what have you, that are that that have been traumatized by sexual violence, the likelihood of them talking to a, a counselor, an advocate, it, it, it it's hardly existent because. They're afraid of how they're going to be received. And especially if that if a African-American child or man goes to a counselor, and if it's a woman, they immediately get intimidated and then say, oh, change my mind. Um, it, it was nothing. I, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with this on my own. Mm-hmm. So at, on Clay's point, it is something that the narrative needs to change when it comes down to help. And it, and it shouldn't be, and vulnerability shouldn't be looked at. There shouldn't be a tag of this is too masculine or too feminine. It's getting help. It is yeah. better. It's the betterment for yourself, well-being, your mental well-being, working on your self-esteem, self-efficacy, what have you. So it's it shouldn't be a talking point that is tagged with, well, got to go see my shrink today, or uh, I, I don't want to feel as if I'm opening up and exposing myself and how is this person going to use this against me? And it's like, those are defeating thought processes that shouldn't be existing. Yeah, I definitely, definitely, definitely agree with um, all the points that were made. I feel like um, 
um, to Clay's point, a lot of athletes that don't want to seek um, uh, treatment or uh, mental, like professional mental health help. Um, I can see, I can understand how you know the things that they go through on a regular basis might give them that like extra drive and motivation to do good on the court, the field, you know, wherever they play. However, I just feel I would love to like give them the opportunity to look at it from a different perspective. Like you can use the motivation of where you come from and all your hardships as motivation and determine and um, like drive and determination. But imagine how much better, imagine how much better you would play if you felt that much lighter because you were actually like your mind won't be as clouded when you go to practice or when you go to games and things like that when you're actually playing because you're distracted about like the things that you're going through mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Like I said, you can use that at like where you come from and the hardships that you've gone through because, you know, everybody loves a, a come up story, an underdog story. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, imagine how much lighter you would feel. And I always like tell people that when you go to therapy, don't run away from your feelings. That's the whole reason why you're there. Like you're going to have to rip off old band-aids. You're going to have to dig into old wounds that are most likely not healed yet. And it's going to be uncomfortable, but growing is uncomfortable. So you shouldn't shy away from the fact that you're feeling feelings. It's normal. You've just suppressed it for so long that it hurts a little bit more for you. And, but when you go through the process and you trust the process, the really important part is that you trust the process is that you can you can come up on the other side and actually heal from these things. You don't have to keep suppressing it. Yeah. This is a complete stranger that has nothing to judge you for. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's just personally how I feel, how I've um, learned from my own personal um, therapy experiences. You know, there were times where I'm just like, this is getting a little bit too deep. You know, I really don't want to go there. But at the same time, it's just like, well, then why am I sitting here? You know, why am I paying for the hour if I'm not going to get anything out of it? So, And and, and Trinity, let me just throw in this last thing so that Mm -hmm. our audience goes away with a little bit of hope from this question. Because I feel like whoever's watching this right now is saying, oh, my gosh, there's no hope. (laughs) The the hope and, and my solution is this. I feel like the solution is let's get more people of color, more black people in this role of therapist and counselor so that so that our clients can see themselves outside of themselves and begin to see that it's and we begin to normalize it i think that's the answer there's not enough of us um it's less than it's four percent of of licensed therapists in Mm -hmm. in, according to the apa Mm -hmm. and it's and that's not enough we all know that and so i think hopefully whoever's watching this will be encouraged to pursue a career uh, in mental health so that we can help our people Right. And, and you know, to Clay's point, real real quick, I was going to say, in the promotion of mental wellness amongst within teachers, uh, mentors, what have you, having that conversation in the community by different pillars of the community mm-hmm. will be a much more better success rate of changing this stigma, this uh, this to be changing from a taboo subject that of well, we, we don't really talk about mental health like that. Um, you know, that's not talked about within my church or the, my denomination that I go to, what have you. These, it, it should be celebrated amongst different key figures amongst the community. So then that can be the guiding light for African-American youth into mm-hmm. adulthood. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing in the comments uh, I saw from Heather and from John um, Mm -hmm. that a lot of places don't have therapy. I know John was saying that there's no such thing as therapy in Nambia where he where they are from. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, we can do that work here. I mean, of course, we got to do it here first and then we can expand to other places um, so that everybody has access. We're all dealing with something, no matter what part of the United States you're from, what part of the world you're from, where whatever is going on, we want to make sure that everybody has access to what they need because everywhere, well, I don't want to say everywhere, but most places people have access to doctors. 
And if we see an injury on the leg, we're quick to, oh, you need help. You need a doctor. But when it's an a injury of the mind or somewhere that you can't see or a feeling that you can't see, it's like, oh, suck it up. It's fake. It's not real. You're just sad. Go depress them dishes or whatever people say. Um, and if we just talk, have somebody to talk to, a lot of people don't have anybody to talk to. A yeah. lot of people are going through where they go to work, they go to class, they go whatever, and they are not talking to anybody about how they feel, what's going on in their life. Like uh, just, oh, how are you doing can be so helpful to one person. So imagine if we are having those conversations everywhere and everyone has access, we may be a little bit less angry or reactive. Right. And I'm glad that we're actually changing, um, like, our course of conversation to um, therapists and, like, the whole um, idea of cultural humility, competency, um, sensitivity. So I want to um, start by asking how many Black families do you serve within your career? So, like, it doesn't have to be, like, an actual number, but, um, like, what, like, generally, what does your population of, like, your clientele look like when you are going to serve, like, with within your career? I would, I would say for me, it's, it's the majority mm -hmm. uh, just because of the space that I'm in. Again, um, with my company, we, we traditionally serve uh, youth who are in the juvenile justice system, mm -hmm. youth who are in foster care. Uh, and then of course, um, those youth that are in our public schools who are uh, the highest risk. And unfortunately, uh, those ten, those numbers tend to be represented by by black and brown. So I would say uh, within my career, within our company, um, uh, I would say at least eighty percent or more. Mm -hmm. I was going to say the exact same thing. I want to say around eighty percent, maybe even ninety percent, um, are my black, uh, my of my clientele are black, are black or people of color. And I take that very seriously. Uh, I enter sessions with a little bit more care. Um, not that I don't with uh, non-people of color, but the people of color, I want to make sure that they have a positive experience when they're in a therapy room that, oh, we are talking about what you deal with systemically, but also let's talk about what you deal with on a daily basis. And I always like to say to my clients that the relationship that we have here is something that can always be replicated outside. We're just practicing here and I'm giving you a feel of what it feels like to have healthy conversations, to be heard, to be validated, to be challenged. And it can help you figure out what type of relationships do you want outside of this space that you can replicate yourself. Dr. Kimberly Williams Crenshaw, mm -hmm. you all know, say her name movement. Um, she is the founder of the concepts of interse uh, the concepts of intersectionality. She's mm -hmm. from Canton, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll say this, within the population of survivors that I see, whether it be hospital or going into uh, police stations uh, regarding if they're going to make a report or not, it's about 50%. And I feel like, in subjectively speaking, it's, I feel like it's regarding intersectionality, mm -hmm. being that how they're being viewed within their com community, because there's the Southeast part of Canton that isn't so that isn't so developed in a lot of projects and mm -hmm. things of that sort. Uh, and uh, the poverty line is heightened in those areas and how their peer groups view them if they go to see a counselor, go go talk about what happened within their family that it's that's involving sexual violence. And they feel like I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to tell tell on my family members. How is my family going to view me? It's it's underrepresented, mm -hmm. um, and, and in my subjective opinion, regarding um, survivors of African American um, African descent seeking help. I agree, and I would like to mention that I'm in private practice. So I'm not sure if there is a difference between the population. Well, I know that there is a difference between private practice and community mental health. And so that can also shape the population of people that I see. And I also recognize that within private practice that 
some communities don't always have the privilege to enter into those sessions. And so I do know that the population of people that I see is um, have more access to certain resources to get the help that they need versus other communities who um, need to go through community mental health. Yeah, and I, um, you know, I'm not officially, oh, well, I am um, starting in like my career um, in like the mental health field, um, you know, by working in a psychiatric unit. But I do hope to get to the point where um, Imani and Clay are eventually, even um, you, Deontay, as far as just even being a student in a graduate program. But I do, I've always said that I want to cater, especially to Black communities, to be able to encourage um, prof um, Black mental wellness and um, what it looks like to practice good mental health. and. Um, you know, not to say that I don't want to cater to any other communities because, you know, mental health is mental health. I care about it all. But um, like you said, Imani, I really want to pay extra attention because I know what it's like to be from firsthand experience, secondhand experience to be in a space where I don't feel comfortable in therapy mm -hmm. um, versus where I can provide um, a different level of empathy because I am a person of color. I am um, a black woman and just to show a little bit of more representation. So um, I want to move on to asking, how do you, in your respective careers, encourage Black families to seek therapy? Um, for me, I would, I would say uh, a narrative. Um, I keep I keep pushing the same narrative that I think we've all been saying, and and especially with my athletes, I try to emphasize the importance of uh, mental health just as much as physical health. Um, they're, they're constantly in the, um, they're constantly surrounded by people who are holding them accountable to be in the gym, holding them accountable to be in workouts, holding them accountable to be in watching film and all these things that supposedly make them a great athlete. Uh, and with my athletes, I constantly tell them that, you know, you can be in the gym while you want, you can watch all the film, you can be you can have all the break, all the records. But if you want to take your own life because you can no longer live with what's going on in your mind, mm -hmm. what good is all the other stuff? And then to my non-athletes, you know, I continue to keep saying the same thing that Deontay has been saying that it's about, uh, you know, when you reach out for help, it's a sign of strength, not weakness. Um, and then I share my own story with them and in hopes that they will understand that this is not about weakness or how I'm going to be perceived, but it's about having healthier life outcomes. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, they all want that. In mm -hmm. the to second um, Clay's point, that's the mantra I carry. Just it's not a sign of weakness to ask for help. It's a strength. Mm -hmm. And I, I use this narrative uh, regarding how we should view help within the African-American, African community. When a judge is sitting on the bench, um, hearing a trial, uh, she or he is hearing the plaintiff, the defendant side. Sometimes the judge says, well, before I make my ruling, I'm gonna take this under advisement. And what does that mean? That means the judge sits with peers, sits with professionals, goes over case law, goes over different things, elements of evidence that talks about what's going on for this case. And it's okay to seek it, seek advisement and support. And that's the, I, that's the narrative that I've talked to, you know, different survivors, different uh, friends that are coming out, separating from the military, just bringing that topic up of okay, it we need to look at it as, you know, the a CEO, a president has a board, mm -hmm. get help, and they they talk to amongst different professionals, and that's how they get help for business on that business standpoint. Mm -hmm. It should be viewed the same way in the personal standpoint okay. regarding mental health, and and, and seeking help getting advisement, getting support. I agree with both Clay and Deontay. 
I, I like to walk around. I like to say I'm a walking billboard for therapy. And so already in my family, literally, I am a therapist, but also I'm the therapist of the family. So I'm like, okay, let me refer you to somebody who may, who I can connect you with. Um, it's, I know it may be scary, but it's good. It's helped me a lot. And usually I just make it more personal because sometimes when it's too far away, it feels like, well, you know, she do it because that's, she's so biased. And I do say I'm biased, but I also know how helpful it is. So I'm always like, get your family in. When I'm talking to my individual clients, I'm like, okay, well, if you have an issue with somebody, bring them in here and we can talk about it and we can talk through it, especially for those who are like, I don't believe in this. <laughs> no shade to y'all, but like, let's, let's talk about why we don't believe in it and why we don't think it's helpful. Or do we, do we think that because we've entered into it ourselves or do we think that because of what the world has told us? And also, are we just doing one and done? I'm like, therapy or therapists are not E for everybody. So you may have a therapist who you don't vibe with. And that that doesn't mean that you're never going to vibe with any other therapist or counselor in your life. It just means that wasn't the person for you. So we need to find a different area. It's like dating. Uh, this person's not for you. You're not going to be done with dating forever. I mean, some people are, but let's try somebody else and vibe with somebody else and get that marriage going. Be like, I like this person. They've helped me and they understand me. And you can't go two or three times thinking that it's going to be safe. Exactly. Let's let's stay a little bit. All of your problems. You have been on this earth, let's just say 30 years. And you think that in two sessions for one hour each week is going to help solve all of your problems for 30 years. Absolutely not. Let's get into it. Let's unravel the necklace of your life and get it together and allow for your mental health to be a priority and be patient in your healing. An injury, if you have knee surgery, arm surgery, whatever, it's not going to heal in two days. Be patient with your recovery. It may take a month. It may take two months. It may take a year, but give it time to get that healing. And the next thing you know, you're like, oh, I feel a little better today. Well, I wonder why. So, I think, yeah, that's definitely an important part. Um, like I mentioned before, just trusting the process. You know, once you do feel like you find that one therapist that, you know, you do vibe with, it's important to feel like, well, first of all, the therapist shouldn't make you feel like you're rushing, like your own process. It's all about whenever, like, you're ready to open up. You know, that's not to say by session 20, you should still be at, you know, yeah, I have two daughters or, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you... Yeah. I urge you to take it at like take it at your own pace, you know, go as slow or as fast as you want. It all depends on how um, comfortable you are with your therapist. But at the same time, and just kind of like try to encourage yourself, push yourself, like find the motivation within yourself to like go a little bit deeper. When you feel like you can't trust that person, you know, it's okay to go like a step, like take a step because, um, I don't know. I just think that like within like my own um, experience, you know, it does take a little bit for me to like open up. But like once I do, once I did find like my therapist that I have now, like there's nothing, I feel like there's nothing I can't tell her. Like, mm-hmm. and I feel like your therapist out of everybody in your life, that's the one person that you shouldn't lie to because <laughs> how like it's so counterproductive. There's nothing yeah. that your therapist can do for you mm-hmm. if you're lying to them or like withholding information from them. But again, go at your own pace. But I also would like to say um, within my experience as I'm not a provider by any sort. Um, I work as a psychiatric technician, so I work under the nurse's direction at a hospital. But I do notice when there are patients that are kind of like sitting in the day room or sitting in the hallway, they may be tearful or anything like that, especially um, black patients. Now, again, this is a disclaimer. I'm not saying that I treat any patient better than the other, but I do know what it's like to feel scared and to feel like you're not being listen to um when you're a person of color and you're already not trusting the system that is supposed to be built for you Mm -hmm. so i try to take the maybe five minutes ten minutes to sit down and talk with that patient you know they may look at me like oh like you're young you don't know anything about having like a drug addiction and bc at taking your kids away and it's like you're right i don't but i have family members that have been in similar predicaments or i um you know we we're both black so like i'm empathetic towards how the system treats people that look like us. Mm -hmm. Kind of like finding that like little thing that you can like connect with like another person on and kind of like building a rapport off of that. So that's kind of the technique that I like to use, using any type of similarity to be able to like just get in there. Cause if I could just like talk (laughs) to you, I I end up like finding people that like just 
you could tell they want to talk. They just feel like they can't because of the lack of representation. Mm -hmm. And you bring up a good point. I think that a lot of people think that your therapist has to go have gone through everything that you have gone through to be able to help you or give you advice or et cetera. That is not true. And I get so, I'm gonna just put myself out there. I feel a little insecure about my age when I enter into a therapy room as a therapist, because people are like, well, how old are you? Are you 12? And I'm just like, please guys, don't do this. Like, I promise I'm competent. I promise that I'm I'm doing my research and I'm doing well. But they're like, well, you don't have no kids and you're not married and you're not this age. So how can you tell me about X, Y, Z? And God, and I always use this analogy. I said, well, your doctor may not have had cancer, but they know how to treat it. Some people get pissed at me when I say that, but it's true. I don't need to have gone through your specific experience to give you the tools that you need to fix whatever or to help whatever you're going through. Allow your therapist, especially those who are looking at therapy and maybe a little reluctant, allow your therapist to get to know you and understand you so that they can give you the best treatment as possible, which is why it's so important to tell the truth. Because if you're going in therapy and you're lying about your progress, then your therapist is going to be like, okay, well, we can go on to the next step of how to go through your treatment in more advance. But how can we get to the next step when you're not being honest in therapy? So I will. I always encourage by keep that open mind and give your therapist the chance to help you. And also, um, uh, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> We're human. It's all good. We, we're diving into some just needed talked about topics. Yeah. I'm like, I'm picturing stuff as I'm talking. I'm like, yeah, this happened, this happened. And then I just lose lose where it's going, but it's okay. That's why I love the movie Inside Out. That's right. <laughs> but it's good, though. Like, like you said, like keep an open mind, you know, allow yourself to get comfortable. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think we got it. We, yeah. You guys have anything to say, Clay, um, Deontay? No. I think I think the only thing that I would say is that, um, you know, just as a as a reminder, like what I'm always telling my team is that vulnerability is earned. Um, mm -hmm. People aren't just going to walk into your office and be vulnerable just because you got some little letters behind your name. Mm -hmm. um, you got to earn their vulnerability and respect and trust, and and it takes work to build that rapport with your clients, and. Um, and I would say that for me, my practice, my business, um, we specialize in earning that rapport and earning that trust with young men, young men of color. And, and you know, we're starting to see more young women now. Um, but I think that I just want to encourage the audience to really seek out an organization. If you're going to seek therapy, um, number one, who values diversity? Mm -hmm. uh, number two, who values uh, history and culture? And then number three, who's really telling their therapist that they need to earn vul your vulnerability and they need to work on building that rapport and really um, actually do it. Yes. Oh, thank you, Clay, for bringing that up, because I remember I was going to say that um, it is important for you as the client, whoever is listening, to be to tell your therapist the truth about what it is that you're feeling. So if you're like, I honestly don't feel like you're hearing what I'm saying. Say that to your therapist because their reaction and how they respond to your honesty is going to indicate whether you should stay with them or not. And that is also going to help with your rapport building. So yeah, thank you for bringing that up. I just feel like it's a building. It, 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 just as you work out, go to the gym, build on yourself, it, therapy, is self-improving. Mm -hmm. So it should be this dyadic approach, uh, this dyad of just looking at it, as Clay mentioned, synonymous. synonymous. Your, your physical well-being needs to be monitored, but then also your mental well-being should be monitored mm -hmm. and, and looked at, whether it be just maintenance, as Amani mentioned, or if it's if you're dealing with issues and trauma as far as it goes, being comfortably vulnerable with trusted professionals and earning, as Clay mentioned, earning, earning that vulnerability with as a professional, and mm -hmm. it, it's it's something that that needs to be definitely um, looked at as a building block, a step forward for uh, in progression for mm -hmm. anyone that's an individual that 
um, that's, uh, you know, African-American or, um, or is seeking help to just look forward to, okay, I'm bettering myself. Mm-hmm. I'm helping myself. I'm, I'm taking the steps that I'm making that be the process of the betterment for myself. So I, I won't feel trapped. I won't be dealing with this cacophony of despair every single day, mm-hmm. dealing with sexual violence, dealing with domestic violence, what have you. So make, you know, it should be a harmonious moment, figuratively speaking, versus being trapped in this prison or this cacophony of despair. Right. Yeah. And rapport is so important. Yeah. Well, we are coming up on the end of this episode. So I just want to know, are there any um, final takeaways that you would want to leave like with our audience? We've had a lot of comments, um, people checking in from different parts of the world. I definitely appreciate that. Um, We have South Carolina, another Sacramento person, somebody from Namibia, someone from Liberia. Um, Hey, (laughs) y'all. Definitely appreciate everybody that has tuned in to watch the show and has been leaving comments. Um, so yeah, any? Do you guys have any final takeaways for our audience? Uh, just a, for me, final thought: if you're if you're in California, really, um, and you're looking for something for um, your son, uh, daughter, uh, like I said, we specialize in youth and young adults. Uh, you can find us at thecommunityimpact.com. Uh, once again, is the make sure you put the the in there <laughs> impact.com uh, or you can find me on Instagram at the relevant counselor. And it's been a pleasure to be on here. Um, and even if you just want to call me for advice on helping you find a therapist or, you know, helping you talk through that process. Uh, that's why we're here. And, I, and I'd love to help you out. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, thanks for having me. And it's been a blessing to be on here. Well, I'll do the same. If anybody is in North Carolina, specifically the RDU area, I am here. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Therapy with Imani. Um, I, if you have any questions, if you want to get in contact with a therapist, if you just need somebody to talk to and like, I don't know how I feel about therapy and you want to talk, I am here. I'm open. And uh, I definitely want to help you all get the assistance that you need. And destigmatize therapy. So I'm here. Hit me up. Don't be afraid. <laughs> For me, uh, I, I don't have I don't, I don't have an Instagram. Um, I you all can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, but the message to um, our audience would be, as I mentioned, it's not a sign of weakness to ask for help. It's a strength. Um, appreciate. I, I really appreciate how the rollout of 988, the number nine, you dial 988 for anyone that is dealing with um, suicide and is in mental crisis. So um, the biggest takeaway, if, you, if you're feeling like you're just stuck in a place of just mental anguish, please, it, it's, it's a phone call away. It's just like 911, but it's this number 988 is specifically for behavior health, mental health, help moving forward in your life. So I, I, uh, that's, that's a big message that I, I, I'm just grateful that July 16th of 2022, that rollout, I, I was like, wow, this is just great. We need this. We, we need this. And it's, it's something easy to remember. You don't have to remember a one eight hundred number. You just dial nine eight eight. All right. I just want to thank you guys again so much for being a part of this. I think this was a well needed conversation, and hopefully, um, anybody that's watching can please just go ahead and share with another person. Let's just get the word out. We need to start eradicating um, stigma surrounding seeking mental health treatment, um, especially within Black households and just the Black community as a whole, and even as um, the world as a whole, um, regardless of if you are Black or not. But um, yeah, I just want to thank you guys. I hope everybody, all of our viewers have a wonderful day. Again, please share this. Um, Our video will be uploaded soon, so you can always um, refer back to this. And thank you so much for tuning in. So everyone have a good day. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>